Welcome to you that are watching by live stream. We're always glad for our friends. And it's always nice if you kind of got, don't feel so good or can't get to church, flip on that computer and you can join right in. So many tell me they do, and I really appreciate it. But I'd much rather see you here physically. So uh, thank you for not sending your spirit, but just come in yourself. And bodies look really, really good. We're in a series called Soul Detox. And we're going to, we've talked about toxic fear, toxic words. We talked about toxic relationships. And we're going to talk about toxic thinking today, how important it is to guard your mind. And you'll see why in just a few moments. The whole idea about detoxing is to cleanse your body of pollutants that get in there over a period of time. And you don't do it once, you do it periodically. It's the same about spiritual detox. You can pick up fear, a lot of negativity in words of people, bad relationships, and pretty soon it just affects the way you think, your perspective, and it can ultimately affect the outcome of your life. And so we're going to see how important that is and why the enemy makes it such a point to battle you primarily in your mind, right? Between your ears. And I'll show you why in a minute. Turn to Romans chapter 8, and I'll get over there in just a second. The quality of life we experience starts with what we dwell most upon. Our thoughts determine our destinies. Our thoughts determine our actions. Our thoughts determine our self-image. Our thoughts determine our attitudes. And when you think about it, our thoughts determine the quality of life we each have. Solomon writes in Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks, so is he. You can look at a life of a person and know they are where they are and what they are primarily by the way they think. I read a book years ago called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I met the author in New Zealand many years ago with Pat Mazzetti. And his whole story is about being raised by one father who died, who was not very successful, who um, was always broke and always out of a job. And then his mother married another man who was very successful. And from the perspective of those two fathers, he wrote the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he talked about the biggest difference in the two men was the way they thought, the way they approached life the way they approached circumstances, the way they handled money, the way they handled people. And it was all about how they think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life will follow your thoughts. If you think depressing thoughts, you'll live a depressed life. If you think critical thoughts, you're going to live a reasonably negative and critical life. If you think positive thoughts, you're going to enjoy, for the most part, a positive, upbeat, expectant life. It is in the atmosphere of expectancy that's the breeding ground of a miracle. A lot of people don't expect anything good to happen. I flat do. Every time I go to the mailbox, I'm thinking, something good's about to happen. Answer a phone call, long distance call for you, oh, something good. Most people think, oh, if the boss calls me to the office, oh, what have I done wrong? Maybe he's going to give you a raise. I'm going to ask your advice. But isn't it interesting how our thoughts run different tracks, and you can discern the way people live by the way they think. So we're going to look at the primary place the Holy Spirit intersects your life and mine, and we turn to Romans 8, verse 5 through 8. St. Paul writes, those who live according to the sinful nature, that is our flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the flesh or sinful nature leads to death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit leads to life and peace because the sinful mind is hostile to God. It will not submit to God's Word, nor can it do so. Those controlled by their flesh cannot please God. So I want to make a series, five of them, observations, that comes from a book called Flow, F-L-O-W. It was written by the chairman of the psychology department of the University of Chicago, and it's a good book about research. Observation number one, 
Your mind and mine is a ceaselessly active stream of thoughts from which your spiritual life flows. You might picture your mind as though it were a wire, and without pause, thoughts are streaming through it unceasingly all the time. Right this moment, your brain, your mind is running ceaseless thoughts. Even though I'm talking and looking at you, your brain is working overtime. You look down at your Bible or your smartphone, and you see your hands. You think, I've got a broken fingernail. <laughs> How embarrassing. I, I wonder, I didn't know I did that. I wonder if people have noticed that. I'm embarrassed. Or are they thinking, and that's why I'm talking to you. Or is that another liver spot I got on my hand? Golly, how does that happen? Is there some way to get rid of that? I think my boss is mad at me. I'm worried about it. I'd really like to tell him what I think. Look at there. There's a, this is while I'm talking. There's a couple sitting in front of us. They're holding hands. Why didn't my husband hold my hand anymore? They look happier than us. I guess their marriage is better than mine. Look over at that girl. I can't believe she wore that today. That's your mind, and it never stops all the time, moving at a rapid pace. Your mind is never still, and you're having thoughts at such a rapid rate, you don't even remember the vast majority of them. But your mind is a ceaselessly flowing stream out of which comes, God says, your life. Second observation, every person in the world has certain habits or patterns of thinking that run through their mind. Everybody. Somebody comes up to you and says, man, you look terrific today. An optimist will think, what a friendly person. A narcissist will think, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> Tell me more. You fascinate me. A pessimist will think, the lighting must really be bad in here. And a cynic will think, oh, you're just trying to recruit me to the children's ministry. The names we use to describe people's personalities, like extrovert, introvert, you know, brave or talkative, just refer to the specific patterns of thought that tend to dominate and run through people's mind. That flow of thought determines your destiny, your character, your personality. It determines the way you experience reality. This inner, inner flow, I guess you'd call it, of the mind is your life and mine for better or for worse? So there's a river going on inside of you all the time. It could be living water that's pure and that gives you life, or that stream of thought can be toxic, poisoned, and bitter. That flow will determine the kind of life and existence you are going to experience. You can go to a neighborhood. You could go to some of my relatives in the South years ago. And I can tell you there's different thinking patterns in those groups. And the ones that stand above the others don't think the same way. Some of you came out of abject poverty. Maybe you came from a neighborhood of poverty. God has blessed you. God's promoted you. But you don't think the way people in your neighborhood think. You look at gang philosophy. Their thinking is screwed up, but they all think the same way, and they talk the same way. And you've got to change the way you think if you're going to change the direction of your life. And God doesn't want you to think like an American. He doesn't want you to think like a Caucasian or an African-American or Hispanic. He wants you to think like Him. Jesus said, let this mind be in you, this way of thinking. Let it be in you that was in Christ. That means I can't think like my parents. I can't think like my race or a political party. I want to think the way God thinks. And He gives me His Word to shape the way I think. It takes time, but He's transforming my mind. He says, don't be conformed to this way of thinking, the world. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And you renew it by hearing God's Word just like we're doing right now. That's why you need to be in church or watching on, online. That's why you need to listen to praise and worship, because God can speak to you out of any of these means, and it can shape and transform what you're thinking about right now, give you direction for the week. It may change something that was going to lead to death, and it will lead to life. It'll give you hope, and it'll give you encouragement. And you only do this once a week for crying out loud, but you're hearing thoughts all day, every day, 24-7. 
And so it's, you've got to detox once a week to keep your thinking straight. You don't want stinking thinking. I think Zig Ziglar made that famous, stinking thinking. That's bad because it can really affect your life. One of the great illusions in our day is that joy can be obtained by just changing my external circumstances. But the truth is, that never happens. Over the long haul, your mind and thinking is never altered by any change of circumstances. A study done by Dr. Janoff Bullman is kind of fascinating, but a team of researchers looked at 22 people who won the lottery. Now, that's a metaphor for hitting the big time, hitting the jackpot, the good life, being happy, got it made. So, 22 people who won the lottery, and in six months, the study showed they were at precisely the same happiness level they had been before they won the lottery. It didn't change much the way they think. Even more extraordinary, they included 29 people who were involved in an accident and became quadriplegic. And within six months, that group was at the same happiness level as they were before they were injured. What was more was that they were more optimistic about their future prospects for happiness than the lottery winners were. So understand that over the long haul, circumstances, even sometimes dramatic ones, do not tend to change by themselves the nature of thoughts that flow through your mind. If you're a jackass and broke, and I put a wad of money in your hands, you're just a rich jackass that's going to squander that money over a few years and probably not be able to keep it spend way beyond your means, even though you've got millions to spend. Because you were a jackass, you're still a jackass because you still think like a jackass. But once in a while, somebody wins the lottery that's of a sound mind, good practical balance in life, and you find 90% of the time they were Christian. They gave their tithe to a church. They helped different charities. They just paid the house mortgage off. But their life did not change in any significant way outwardly because of that, because of the way they think. Mark Earhart and I were talking the other day. Uh, every now and then there's a $350 million jackpot lotto or something. So we'll, I'll pull out a couple of bucks, and he'll take a couple bucks, and he'll buy a ticket. We do it for fun, for sport. And at the end of the day, do I expect to win? Not really. It's possible, but not probable. Okay, so let's end that just for fun. But I've, we were talking over a cup of coffee or something about what we would do. And I, I said, I don't have any problem with what I'd do. First thing I do is pay off this church. I said, that's my, that's my heart. That's my passion. I'm going to, the kingdom of God says first. So first thing I'm going to do is pay it off. That's done. Secondly, I'm going to go off salary. Number three, I'm going to put a trust for my children and my grandchildren. Nothing big, so they can live off the interest and have a cushion there to help them. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's all. Nothing extravagant. It wouldn't take that much. And then uh, my wife and I uh, would have, would we move to Terra Hills and buy a $4 million house? Watch my lips. Heck no. I'm not moving. I like where I live. However, my wife did inform me that we would put in bigger closets. So we would do that. And I think she's right. And I would like a media room. But when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, that's, that's nothing. That's just a, an eyelash. That's nothing. But I wouldn't move anywhere. I like where I live. I, I like my little Volkswagen. I like my little sports car somebody gave me. I, I'm very happy. I wouldn't move. My life would not change substantially. I'd help other charities of ministers around the world that I'm friends with that are doing great work. I'd like to pitch into their lives and then leave a little bit of a kitty left to keep it drawing interest so we could help others as we had. I'd get rid of that money in a week to 12 days. And if you notice, I hadn't spent a penny on myself. I wouldn't go buy a yacht because with that kind of money, I, if we had to go somewhere, I had to go charter me a yacht and take a bunch of people with me and have a ball and then let you pay the interest and insurance and upkeep and the crew, let you pay for that the rest of the time. What do I, I ask, I was, I've, been, I've been privileged to be on multi-million dollar yachts too, as a matter of fact, with a crew of 11. And uh, I, I know a little bit about what I'm saying. And I asked the crew member, the captain of that ship privately, I says, how often is this, does this guy take this yacht out? You, you keep it in the Bahamas. How often? He said, about 30 days a year. So 30 days a year, I got a $10 million yacht. Another guy's got a $4.5 million yacht. That means he's having to pay the crew. 
You got to keep that boat up. You got to pay insurance. Maintenance is horrific. Millions a year just to keep it up for 30 days. So if I'm a rich man, I'm just going to put out, I already read Rob report, I'm going to pay $250,000 and charter that sucker and then walk away from it and you can have it and I'll have all the fun I want to have but no overhead. I'm trying to show you the way I think is, is not going to be changed by an exorbitant amount of money. And the way you think will determine what happens to you. Half of you I'd never see again. I know you. I know you. You'd be out of here like a bootlegger out of Alabama on Friday night. You're gone. You'd get you a new wife, get you a trophy wife. You, no, no. But my, my thinking has been shaped for my Christian life by God's Word, and therefore there wouldn't be extravagance. There'd be some extravagant giving and helping others, but, but it wouldn't. I thought about it. Would it change my life? Would I move? No. I wouldn't have any debt, but I'd like to serve, I'd like to give, and I'd like to help. And I'd like to make sure my wife's okay in case I die, because church ain't never going to take care of her. They don't do that. So I got to live for a long time, you understand? <laughs> she prays for my health and well-being more than anybody, yeah. That's, that's a fact. Well, that's just really important. So I'm just curious. I'm just over coffee pitching that to you. Have you ever kind of thought fantasy kind of like what you'd do if something like that happened? Well, you never spend all that money. Shoot, give me a week. I'll show you how to get rid of that money. Is it, that money will make you go bad. That money ain't going to make me go bad. If I'm bad, I'm, already, I'm just going to do bad more. But if I'm good, I'll end up doing good things. Do you understand what the, he's saying? The way you think is going to determine the outcome whether you're happy or not, not what you get, not getting you into a new house or getting you out of a ghetto into something else. That's not going to change anything until we change the way you think because you are where you are because of the way you think, and you're not going to escape until you change the way you think. Okay, I think you got that one. Third observation. Every thought has the power to move me into the flow of the Holy Spirit or close me off from it. Now, how do I know the thoughts that come from the Spirit of God? How do I know that God's at work in my mind, in my thoughts? Well, cognitive psychologists study the mind, and they say that every thought comes with a little emotional charge. Every thought makes you a little bit sad or happy. Some thoughts carry a heavy emotional charge, and they can lead you toward rage and anger euphoria, and so on. But all thoughts carry an emotional charge. Now, with Paul, St. Paul, it's a little bit different. He says every thought you have carries a spiritual charge. According to verse 6, thoughts that are in alignment with your flesh, that are in opposition to God's Word and will, lead to death. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is death. And thoughts in agreement with the Word of God and God's Spirit lead to life and peace. So Paul is saying that in real life we all wrestle with good and bad thoughts, all of us. He's using this sharp contrast to express the idea that every thought you have carries a little spiritual charge. Every thought is either opening you up, enabling and empowering you to deal with your circumstances in a kingdom way, or it's robbing you of the power to lead your life in a kingdom way. A carnal mind, mind on the flesh leads to death. Spiritual mind leads to, li uh, to life. So every thought is leading you a little bit into life or into death. The Bible tells us, take every thought captive and bring it into subjection. I've thought about quitting. If you've been married 50 years, you've thought about divorce. You've thought about a lot of I thought about an affair, thought about uh, doing something maybe not ethical or whatever, who knows. But those thoughts come to everybody. Okay, I'm going to ask the Lord to just give me a video, everybody in here, we can all see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at there. All of us have those thoughts. But you don't, but you've got to take authority over those thoughts and take them captive, Paul says. You're not dominated by them. They run by like a wild horse, but you don't have to mount it. <laughs> you can let it pass on by and not act on it, right? Sure, sure, we all have them. Uh, let me think of what I was going to say. Oh, I was with, I was with a, a, a wonderful person who, who has a little bit of an affliction that started, and it was very noticeable. And he made this statement. He said, my father died of this at 74. And then he said, I'm 74. And in one second, my brain, a renewed mind, 
instantly said, I break that curse in the name of Jesus. Now, how could I say such a thing? Because that mind says, well, he had it, and his father had it, and they all had it at 74 and died of it, and I'm 74, and I'll probably die of it. That leads to death. And I says, what is my justification for saying, I reject that? First of all, I've been separated from Adam in my racial birth through Jesus who redeemed me and bore me into the kingdom of God through a new birth. I have now had the curse broken off my life that runs through my family. Jesus redeemed me from the curse, being a curse that I might inherit the blessings of Abraham. On that cross by his stripes I have been healed. He bore my sicknesses and my infirmities. So my brain, my thinking is working. I don't have to submit to that, but I do have to authoritatively reject that and break that curse. You see, you do have to be an active participant in this. You're not a victim of those thoughts. Well, mother had ovarian cancer, and her sister had ovarian cancer, and they were 39, and I'm 35, and I'll probably have it too. Well, you probably will, thinking like that. Now, you know, the enemy, because you've been redeemed from the curse, Rick, he doesn't have any right to do that. Correct. But you cannot be, why does the Bible say, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you? Because you have a part to play in rejecting the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I wasn't present in my home when thieves broke in and stole all of our valuables several months ago. He didn't have a right to it. I paid for them. I owned them. I had legal right. He had no legal right. That's why he's called a thief. And a thief steals what is not his nor what he's entitled to. But I wasn't there to resist him. Okay? So he took it. Now, if you're not there to resist the enemy when news comes like that, or that I felt a lump in my breast, I wonder, I probably, I wonder if it's breast cancer and all. Don't go there. Use your mind to say, I reject that thought. I bind it in Jesus' name. Nothing's going to stop my future. I might have to have surgery, but nothing's going to stop my future. That which God has begun in me, He will perform it unto the day of Jesus. And I break that curse of cancer. I break that curse of fear of cancer that's come over me. It has no right or place in me. I am begotten of God, and the wicked one touches me not. Notice I am not quoting from the Reader's Digest. I am not telling you what my grandmother said, a hairdresser said. I'm telling you what God's Word said. And after 71 years, my mind is not going to let you take me down a road. I don't have to go. I am not passive. I have authority to bind and loose, and so do you. I'm not going to let somebody else tell me how to think, and I'm not going to tell you how to think. God is the only one that can tell you how to think, and He should, but others will try. So you need to be responsible for your own thinking and your own thoughts. And if you don't know how to think, it said, I don't know any word and I'm not a good reader. Well, we've got it on CD. Confessions from the Word of God taken over the years here. Our team put them together and you can listen while you're stuck on 281. And instead of cussing and getting mad about it, you can get your mind renewed with God's Word about everything from finance to health to your children and relationships. If you can read, then we've got, this is called God's Word for every circumstance. You can get it in the bookstore. They sold out last night as soon as I said it, which means a lot of people don't read or don't, don't know any Scripture. And this is good because it says, Word of God, God's Word for depression, God's Word for healing. And there's just lists of Scriptures you can quote and memorize, and so you've got to have something to fight with. You've got to have a sword. And the only weapon Jesus gives us is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When, the, when Jesus fought the enemy, He didn't say, well, I, I heard on CNN. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so that will help you for circumstances or, or for friend calls with a problem. You can look up some scriptures to help them because God's Word is quick and powerful. It's alive. It, it, the Holy Spirit's in it. It's not a novel. It, it, it's, it's alive. It's God's Word. It, it created heaven and earth. It shapes everything. So use that thing. You, get your mind renewed. And there's prayers out there for your business, prayers for healing and health. And you ought to take a moment and stop out there and get involved in how you think. Hang around people who think right. Get around, away from toxic people who are negative. Oh, well, I, I probably won't get a job now. I won't make as much as I did. My company's laid us off, and, I, and, and, and Earl's got a little health problem, and we probably won't get this. And we, what, what are those, what's the, where are those thoughts leading you? Right into the ditch, right to death. That is not what you say. 
Well, the doctor said it could be some kind of a pneumonia or certain kind. One of our little children in here uh, was diagnosed with the possibility of that. And immediately that mother said, I break that curse in the name of Jesus. That shall not happen to that child. And it did not happen to that child. The child was sick. The child needed antibiotics. The child was fully recovered. But if you just go passive and you just say, well, I probably will happen, don't even, we love our doctors and we have lots of them in here. We respect them. Luke was a physician, but don't you let any secular doctor say, well, it'll probably and probably and probably. Those are all speculative words. Now, when the enemy fights, what does he do? He fights God's Word, always. First words from his mouth in Scripture are to Eve, hath God said, you won't surely die. God doesn't mean what he says. So people have been taking the Bible and just ripping pages out of it, ripping pages. God doesn't mean that. God doesn't mean that. And they wonder why their lives are a mess. God doesn't change his mind. His word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. The only thing I guarantee you that won't change is God or his word. And if he says it, he means it. And if it's a clear text, you stand on it. Jesus said, the wise man built his house on a rock. The foolish man built his life, marriage, business on the sand. And when the flood and the rain and the storms came, the guy on the sand washed away. But the guy on the rock stood firm. Then he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, he who hears my word and does it is like a man that built his life on a rock. And when the storms come, and they will, when a bad report comes, it will. You will not be shaken. You will not fall. You're unmovable. You're unstoppable. And that's why you've got to get that word in you. You've just got to. Just hanging out and coming to a church service is not going to make you strong by itself. It's helpful. It'll renew your mind. And you'll be surprised what you will remember if you come. If you'll listen, and even if you're on vacation, tune in, at least get the Word. God speaks through His Word. God speaks through worship and praise, and He can give you an answer to a problem right in a service, and it's not even what I'm preaching, but it leads to something that God speaks to you and gives you life. So that's real important. Every thought is leading you a little bit more into life or into death, and that's how you recognize a mind controlled by God's Spirit. It always, always, always leads to life. Well, I don't know if I'll, you know, I got a divorce, and I don't know if I'll be able to care for the kids, and I don't know if I'll get enough job, and I, well, I don't know if I'll live till tonight. We won't talk about that, or we won't talk about a God who said, my plans for you are good, not evil. My God will supply all your need. That's how I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be reminding God through the house. I'm going to be reminding Him of every promise He made over my life so that circumstances just do not change that. Well, I'm 90 years old. How can the pot? My womb is dead. Shall I have pleasure with my husband, Sarah said? And that sucker's 100. It's pretty obvious. They both look like miles of bad road. And God said, I said it, and you'll see it. And they did. (laughs) Don't you doubt God. He can take a mess and make a miracle out of it. He can take you with a past or a criminal charge or something and lead you to a life of promotion, of influence, and impact. This is the God we serve of grace and mercy and restoration. I just, who wouldn't love this God? He's incredible. And you don't even have to blow yourself up. Some of you beat yourself up, but you don't have to. Yeah. Well. We get in trouble when we play games with our minds and we rationalize all of our thoughts as spiritual when they're not. A guy drives past Krispy Kreme, he wants a donut, but he prays, God, I only want to have a donut if it's your will for my life. So if there's a parking place in the front of the bakery when I drive by, I'll know it's your will. So after the sixth time around, there's a parking place in front of the bakery. Now that's not spiritual, that's a game. So mark this down. All thoughts have a little spiritual charge, and thoughts of the mind set on God's Word and His Spirit always lead you to hope. There's no hopelessness. Hope. Never despair. Always toward virtue. Never toward sin. Always towards truth. Never into illusion. Always towards growth. Never towards stagnation. They always, always lead to life when you're thinking right. That's important. So here's one of the things researchers found. When people are alone, not connected to God, and they're not distracted by noise or activity, their minds naturally drift towards the awareness of discontentment, anger, 
inadequacy, anxiety about their future, and chronic self-occupation. So the fourth observation, researchers said, is the natural tendency of the mind, apart from God, is always towards death, not life. When people are alone, not distracted by noise or activity, that's where their minds go. That's why people don't usually like solitude. And what is the most hated punishment in a penal system? Solitary confinement. Why is it so feared? People don't want to have to be quiet and alone with their minds. They don't want to wrestle with guilt or shame or God even speaking to them. And it's a verifiable fact that human beings, when left alone, always have their thoughts leading to discontent, anxiety, fear, inadequacy towards death. That's why television and uh, games and iPads and viral games are so addictive. It's the easiest method to distract me from my mind. People don't watch it because it's so fulfilling. Nobody gets to the end of 24 hours of TV and says, holy cow, what a fabulous night. What a good life I lead. I can't wait to do this again tomorrow. No, it just shuts out my having to think. Most of the most intimate words ever spoken to me, I hear by God, I'm quiet. I'm on a plane at night, it's quiet. I'm alone at home. I'm driving alone in the car, the radio's off. God can speak to me. I'm thinking, my mind's open, thoughts are coming and going, and God can speak. Elijah was in a cave, and he went out and he saw a whirlwind, but he, God wasn't in it. A tornado, he saw an earthquake, but God wasn't in it. A huge forest fire, but God wasn't in it. And then a still, small voice. God spoke quietly. It's rare God speaks to me while everybody's screaming. Come on, it's just rare. You can be vacuuming the carpet, but quiet, and God speak to you about your kids, about your life, about your marriage, and give you a positive thought. It should lead to life if it's coming from God. It leads to life. You should see some hope. So I don't care how bad the situation is, there's always hope. I remember years ago, we went through a little bit of a, somebody tried to, you know, a frivolous kind of an attack to try to slander and hurt people. And I I remember one of the guys I'd known for 13 years says, we're not going to make it. And I thought, you've known me for 13 years, and I thought I knew you. And you mean to tell me you're standing next to me saying we're not going to make it? I says, there's not a snowball's chance in hell we won't make it. After it was over and we did make it, he came and said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, that's what's wrong with you. You can't believe it. And I said, I never doubted it. It was never at risk. God says, what I've begun in you, nothing on hell or heaven can stop it. You can be hurt. You can be delayed. You can be slowed up, but you can't be stopped. That gives you boldness. Gives you confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. And I'm telling you, of course, that person's not even around anymore, but we are. I'm going to finish my destiny. There's nothing can stop that. And if you don't know what yours is, then hang with me, okay? Because I do know. I want you to know too. But if you don't know, then you just flat hang out with people who are confident about what God's doing, what God's saying, and where He's going. Or you're going to get in a world of trouble if you just listen to the chatter of all your friends. If they're not solid in the Word of God, they're going to, well, my hairdresser said I ought to divorce him. Well, good. That's great counsel. Maybe she's had three already. You think that's where I'm going to get my advice? My dad's had five marriages. You think I'm going to call daddy and say, dad, I need some advice. (laughs) That's just death plus death equals death in my mathematics. Not going to ask him that. So why do we do it? keeps us from having to deal with what's going on in our minds. So Paul gives this warning. So I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the pagans do. There's another phrase he uses here to talk about people who are in opposition to God. And he really nails the description. In the futility of their thinking. That's, they're locked up in death-producing thoughts. And we see this conclusion in Romans 1 verse 28 about people who shut God out of their thoughts. God gave them over to a depraved or reprobate mind. Man, that's chilling to me. Somebody given over to a depraved mind means unending discontent, relentless fear, ceaseless self-obsession. They don't need outside torture. 
They're living in misery and pain every day. But it's never God's desire for anybody ever. God's desire for you and me is to have a mind permeated by life giving thoughts that open you up to His Holy Spirit, that whatever circumstances you're going through enables you to live settled in confidence, love, joy, and peace of mind, no matter what's going on around us. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, St. Paul says, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 says, but we have the mind of Christ. See, I've been given a new way to think about life, about marriage, about my future, about God's view of me. Well, most people live with guilt, shame, and condemnation, and the cross took that away. And yet you still live beat up all the time, feeling I'm unworthy, I'm no good. Now, when you believe that about yourself, you're contradicting what God said about you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed my sins from me. You're contradicting what God said, and now you're going to abuse your body. You're going to abuse yourself. You're going to make horrible choices. You're going to hang out with horrible people, and you're going to end up a train wreck or a prayer request going somewhere to happen because you don't believe what God says about you. So you live lower than God said you are, and you find people lower than that to hang out with, and you don't care because life has no meaning or purpose. But I'm telling you, every life in this room has purpose and has meaning and has value, every single one of you. And you just have to wake up one day from God's Word and say, I get it. I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who they said I am. I'm not going to let that past sin define my life. I'm going to let God define my life. And He loves me, and He will not reject me, and I'm going to live with that thinking in my head. And, and why is it every time something bad happens, we always say, well, God must be judging me? Holy cow! He judged you on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's our judgment occurred on Jesus. Somebody ran into your car because they're a lousy driver. And that happens, my battery goes dead. People rob my house. You know, uh, things happen. My wife hit a deer and took out the whole front end of a car to the tune of about $8,000. I love Jesus. I have spiritual gifts. I tithe, I give, and still cost me eight grand for a dumb deer. You don't love animals. I love that car more than I love that deer, and he tore that car all to pieces. That deer's not going to heaven or hell. I just mean people just get stupid talking, right? And I'm just talking simple here. I'm trying to say to you, that has nothing to do with my purpose. You can be interrupted, a bad diagnosis, surgery, maybe a little chemo you have to have, so there's a setback financially, but you, you're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. That doesn't change because something bad happened, or somebody gave you bad news, or one of your business partners sued you, or whatever. A distraction, but it's not going to stop God's plan for your life. You can't stop. If God has to open the, the Red Sea, if He has to uh, open the womb of a 90-year-old woman, if He has to back up the sun 10 degrees, if He has to open the, the Jordan River and split it or feed you with a raven. God will do whatever it takes to fulfill what He promised you He would do. So you need to settle down, don't get a wedgie, and relax. <laughs> relax. I don't know where I got that from. I think one of our teenagers put that thought in my mind, and boy, it went in there. And I remember saying, I like that thought. It conveys a picture to you that everybody has, and I don't want to see them. Okay, I know that could be ugly. Here's the last observation. Number five, the gift of the Holy Spirit means you get to choose what thoughts you listen to. You get to choose. And that takes a little bit of time and learning. It's astonishing how often people think they are victims of whatever thought runs through their mind. And we hear people with criminal offenses on TV say, well, a voice told me to kill my baby. We've all seen that. What voice are you listening to? That led to death, not life. I felt the voice tell me I was to kill or murder these people. That's insane. Of course it's insane. It's the enemy. And it leads to death and not life. So how do I know it's God or not God? Does it lead to life or does it lead to death? Suicide is not the thinking of God. Your life is precious and valuable. There's nothing you've done, nothing you can do that makes your life invaluable so that you ought to kill yourself. That thinking leads to death. The enemy's the only winner in that. 
And God's robbed of a beautiful life that has potential in it. But you allowed thinking and depression and depressing thoughts and negative thinking to enter your mind, took you over, took you out of the life of God, and now the enemy gets to kill and steal and rob the potential God put in you. It's never God's will for you to come out on the bad side of death like that. You're not a victim. You're not a passive spectator. You get to involved and say, I reject that thought in Jesus' name. This will not happen. I get crazy thoughts too all the time, especially when I'm in traffic on 281. Murder, wishing I had an RV from the military and I could just plunge into a car and push it off the road. Yeah, I have all kinds of thoughts like that. I have ugly thoughts, <laughs> naughty thoughts, but I have to reject them just like you do. We went through that recession. I remember thinking people say, oh, I don't know if we're going to make it. We just moved into this building, and then the economy went to the toilet, and giving dropped 40% in the nation. Charitable give. People were seized by fear. They didn't lose their job. They just got seized by fear and stopped giving, which I couldn't understand. But I, I remember taking those thoughts captive every time that thing would try to come, and it always comes through people talking, talking, talking. Oh, how are we going to pay for that? How are we going to do that? I said, if God started it, He knew this was coming. We didn't. Certainly, if we'd have known, we could have made some other choices, but we made the best choice with the wisdom we had based on where we were, and that's all God requires of anybody. I says, therefore, He'll bring us through, the skin of our teeth, but He brought us through. So, you see what I'm saying? I have to fight those battles, too. Then I thought about the staff and their families and people that are at stake as well. So, life without problems is not going to exist, but you've got to take those wild horse, wild thoughts and take them captive and pull them down. You're not a victim. You can choose how you think. There's a battle in the spiritual life, and it's led by the evil one, and it involves the nature of thinking that occupies your mind. And if you're not, you know, if, if you're not a bystander, you get to make choices to determine how you're going to think, what you will accept. I'm not going to let a preacher tell me how to think. If he's quoting God's Word, that can shape my thinking. But I'm not going to let people decide what I'm going to do, what I'm going to live, uh, what risk I'm going to take. I'll get counsel, but I'm going to be the one that pulls the trigger. I'm the guy that's going to be responsible, so I'm going to choose how I think. I'm not going to let somebody tell me how I can vote. I'm not going to let somebody say, well, you can't vote for that party. I'm going to let you. Who told you you could tell me that? I'm not going to let any group of people, racial, white people, black people, Hispanic people, tell me I've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to pull that lever. You're just a pawn. You're not, a, you're not a, an independent kingdom person. Kingdom person says, I have the power to think and to decide what is right and what is wrong, and I'll make my own choice. And I will make my choice. And that has consequences, because some people won't like you. They want you to buy into their crowd. They want to be the one to tell you what you have to wear, what you have to do, how you have to think, how you have to behave. Watch young people. With a, they'll tell you what to wear, what's right, what's moral, what's not wrong. But if you're a kingdom person, God will tell you. And that's it. It's simple as that. I can say no. I can say no if it costs me money. I can say no whatever the consequences will be. You get the power to say no too. But you need guts to say no. You're going to live by every word of God. And that's what Jesus said we do. So the ultimate freedom, Dr. Dallas Willard wrote this, the ultimate freedom we have as a human being is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell on. Even in a concentration camp, even with a loaded gun against your head, no one can take away your freedom to choose what you're going to think. Nobody can take it. So Paul says, set your mind, your thinking, on things above not on natural or earthly things. Paul is not saying try to get a picture of what heaven looks like. That's not what he's saying. He's saying try to think like God thinks. You know, he's talking about you can either think like the flesh on the earth or you can think like God thinks from a kingdom perspective. He says, let your mind be characterized by thoughts that produce love, joy, peace, confidence, self-control, courage, and truthfulness. Ah, that's the mind of Christ. And don't let your mind be enslaved by resentment, anxiety, greed, or superiority. Paul says that, and Jesus says that, and it can begin right now in your mind and mine. Anybody remember seeing the film by Russell Crowe? I went to it called A Beautiful Mind. It's a true story about Dr. John Nash, a brilliant guy with a fabulous mind, but he heard voices in his mind. He saw people. They weren't real, but he heard voices that weren't real and saw people that weren't real. And they seemed real. They made him feel important. They played on his fear. And when he listened to them, they destroyed his relationships, distorted his perceptions. They made him obsessive and terrified. They led to death. 
So this guy with this brilliant mind over time has to learn to test these voices and thoughts in his mind and not listen to the ones that led to deception and death. Watch this quick film clip, and then I'll close. I was thinking that I might teach. A classroom with 50 students can be daunting for anyone. John, besides, you're a terrible teacher. I'm an acquired taste, Martin. <laughs> I was hoping there still might be something I could contribute. What about the, um, well, you know, I've been gone. No, they're not gone. Maybe they never will be. But I've gotten used to ignoring them, and I think as a result, they've kind of given up on me. You think that's what it's like with all our dreams and our nightmares, Martin? We've got to keep feeding them for them to stay alive. Notice he said, I've now gotten used to ignoring them, and as a result, they don't have any authority over me anymore. And that's exactly what you do. These thoughts will come to you and come to me, and we all face that battle. But you don't have to listen to them, and you don't have to yield to them. Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, you can tune into the Holy Spirit as simply as saying, God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's my challenge. Here's my problem. Here's my concern. Here's my fear. Here's my anger. Help me. And then be quiet. Listen. Be still. And there'll be thoughts that come to you that move you towards life. Remember, if it's moving you towards life, it's God. If it's moving you towards death and despair, it's not from God. And you'll learn in time to recognize them quickly as you practice, and they'll help you think with a sound mind, sober judgment, compassion, courage, and hope. And finally, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. This was a low place in his life. The enemy had captured Ziglag, taken their wives, their children, all their stuff. The army's thinking about killing David, although he didn't have anything to do with it. But notice the text doesn't say David beat himself up in the Lord. It says he encouraged himself. Make sure when you're alone with God, your main activity is encouragement. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Ask for His help. Listen for His wisdom. And remember His promises to you. And when thoughts come to you that say, you don't deserve this, you're not living well enough, you're not doing good enough, remember, God is the God of grace and mercy. He'll an he he's funny. He'll answer prayers for people that aren't even saved to prove Himself to them. Doesn't save them, but it proves He's there, that He cares. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. I have friends that were snorting cocaine who were in the rock and roll business, and God was speaking to them as clearly as He speaks to me, and it led them ultimately to accept Him as Lord. One of them's in Miami, Florida right now. He wrote that song, uh, Last Kiss. At Pearl Jam took it, the last one out of four of them, that took it number one in the nation. It's quite amazing. And I said, most Christians say, you could, God ain't talking to him on a bus doing cocaine. Shoot, yeah, God was talking to me in the rock and roll business. I can remember moments walking on a beach alone. God's talking to me, messing with me. He's, he's after you. He seeks you. He loves you. And so, uh, don't get caught up into the trap, well, I'm not living right and God isn't going to help me. Jonah ran away and disobeyed a clear command from God, got thrown overboard, got swallowed by a giant fish, and there he is where he ought to be because he's in rebellion against God, and he prays in his rebellion, God saved me, and God did. Some of you need to be puked out of a whale's belly. You really do. You just need a good old vomit attack to get you up and going, and you think God won't hear you, He will hear you. You cry out to Him. You ask for mercy. That's his soft spot. If God's got a soft spot, it's mercy. Ask him for it. And out of his love and compassion, he can heal you, restore you, use you, lift you, promote you, do anything, and give you a life you never imagined was even possible. The way you think affects your soul, your body, and your spirit. Amen. So allow God to transform your thinking. Focus on the good. God's going to take you where you could not imagine. He'll do more than you can ask or think. You'll live the abundant life that rightfully belongs to you that Jesus purchased for you to have. So, lean into your church family.
Lean into wise friends in your connect groups. Discern the voices that are worth listening to you. I mean, tell them what you're thinking so people can say, that's not God, and quote Scripture to help you. See, God's will is that you have a beautiful mind. Whatever your circumstances are, God's will for your mind and mine is always life, only and forever life. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the power of a renewed mind. In the name of our Lord Jesus, I break every curse of judgment, of word, of negativity, of bad self-image that's permeated the thoughts of people in this room. I command those bound and cast them down in the name of Jesus. We take those wicked, toxic thoughts that are a lie against the truth and rebuke them. We decree our minds are the mind of Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus, and we have authority to take every thought captive. We are not victims. Help us come into agreement with Your Word, and may Your Word dwell in our heart and in our mind richly so we can produce good fruit and live the abundant life that You said You died to give us, a fruitful, overflowing life and a great mind that's renewed by Your Word. Deliver us from stinking thinking, and help us begin to work at it. We have the power to choose life and death. May we choose life. And any thought that leads to negativity, despair, fear, doubt, leads to death, we reject it in Jesus' name. We reject what a doctor said. We reject what some relative said. We reject what some authority said. Just like Michael Jordan's coach said, you can't play basketball. We reject those lying thoughts. If God's ordained that for your future, nothing can stop you but you. And so yield and agree. Don't let circumstances, don't let people, don't let races, don't let religion dictate to you what you can and cannot do and who you are. You have what God says you have. You are who God decrees you to be. You can do what God says you can do, and you come into agreement no matter how weak you may feel, because God does not lie, and God does not change. So change your mind. That's why the music, the worship can lift, the Word can lift, fellowship with other believers can lift you. God's got a good plan to help cleanse you of toxicity. So don't neglect that. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.